They were playing uh, FFH Big Fish there. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you don't know FFH, but uh, they became popular in the early 2000s. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the chapels that I skipped at SBU, like I had a paper due, and I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know who's going to be at chapel, so I've got seven skips. I'll, I'll, skip, I'll skip chapel and and people came back, man, this awesome band, FFH, man, it was cool. It's like, oh, that's awesome. So, um, uh, first, first things first, going back to the, to the camp uh, announcement, uh, maybe a little strong with that, but I wanted to challenge, challenge us to think outside where we're at. Think outside where we're at of, it's not just a fun time away. It's a week for students to focus in on God. And we're not going to get that any other way. And so um, we can take care of any, any reason. I mean, if you got something going, you got something going. But we can take care of any reason. So I'm going to go a little bit old school. I do have three points in a poem, although the poem is going to go first. But the poem isn't really old school. It's, 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 it's called Butt Prints in the Sand. One night... I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. Now, you may say, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't come up with that. I didn't come up. I Googled it, but be careful, Googling butt prints in the sand. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, <clears throat> you may say, well, what about God's compassion? And he never, never leaves you or forsake you. It sounds like he's going to leave you in the sand. Come on. What about that? Absolutely, of course. However, however, um, we are taking a look. We are taking a look at God's response to one guy in discipline. One guy, our hero Jonah, which, which I've tried to call, kind of call him that each week, and, and I hope that has kind of become laughable over the course of, of this story, because our hero Jonah, Jonah, Jonah doesn't stop after chapter 3, after the revival. And that's where we kind of expect it. And Jonah preached to Nineveh, and everybody come to know the Lord, and a great revival erupted, period, end of sentence, end of story, game, set, match, right? Well, No. The story keeps going. Jonah plants his derriere right straight down in the sand. Literally. It's a desert. The desert. But why? What is God's response over this? And do we do the same thing today? Jonah chapter 4. We're going to put the scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along in our app or the Bible app. 
Uh, in our app, if you go to uh, search Crosspoint, search Crosspoint Fellowship in, in either um, uh, Apple Store uh, or uh, Google Pay, Play, uh, you can find it. Uh, it's under resources in our app. Jonah 4, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. After this revival, after probably the most dramatic revival that ever has occurred in the history of the world, uh, he was furious. Uh, other translations say exceedingly angry. Exceedingly angry. This story is actually about misplaced anger and misplaced joy. We'll see that he's exceedingly joyful a little bit later. But he is exceedingly angry. And we see that he literally goes outside the city, up on a cliff, plants his his butt straight in the sand to watch God smite the city. Laser light show of epic proportions to come down, A-bomb on the city, gone. That's what he's waiting for. And he's mad at God. He's really exceedingly evil towards God. He is diabolically angry with God. He prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? So why is he angry? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from descending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Now, parents, you've, you've asked a question. You know the answer to. You know they know the answer to. But they're too mad to actually answer you. It's like, hmm. We see that often. Multiple times a day, we see it. God asks Jonah this question. He's too angry to answer this question. And everybody knows the answer to this question. Why is Jonah exceedingly angry? He was mad that God actually showed compassion and grace to Nineveh. He was angry at God's grace and mercy. These people, these people... We're equivalent to ISIS today. I mean, exactly equivalent. Imagine 6 o'clock news tonight watching people behead people. And then tomorrow, 6 o'clock news, the same people on their knees in prayer. Crying out to God to forgive them. Some of us, some of us would just be like, I don't know if that can happen. Some of us would be like, I don't want that to happen. God, you need to just wipe them out. There's no way they can be really repentant. It's misplaced anger. But what about our everyday? A girl at school or work? She's a... Can't believe she would do that. She gets what she deserves. That guy who's a... Isn't he going to get what's coming to him? People we see on Facebook. We post in memes. Misplaced anger. And anytime there's misplaced anger, there's going to be misplaced Joy. We don't think God's grace and compassion, we, it's not that we don't think it, they can't come down. We don't want them to come to people. Anywhere there's misplaced anger, there's misplaced joy. Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. 
he made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. He sat down right there, put his blood prints right there in the sand, waiting for God's laser light show of atomic proportions to come down and just, boom. He's waiting for it. And the Lord God appointed a plant. And it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased. He was exceedingly joyful with the plant. Misplaced joy. Misplaced joy. We see in the next verse, we'll read that in a minute, but God, God appointed a worm to come eat the plant so the plant would die. And God, uh, Jonah became mad again over the plant dying. Jonah, Jonah's misplaced joy was towards a plant. Jonah's misplaced joy was towards stuff. Actually, really, Jonah's misplaced joy was over saving stuff over people. Saving stuff over people. Jonah wanted to, wanted to save the plant, but really what he wanted was to save his comfort and really save his face. I mean, think about this. He's a prophet of God Almighty. Imagine going back home to Jerusalem among God's people and going, hey guys, guess what? Guess what happened? Guess what happened? Revival come. Oh, really? To where? Nineveh, our arch enemy. The people that wants to come, come and rip our skin off. Revival came to them. I preached to them. What would people think of Jonah? He wants to save face. He wanted to save comfort. He wanted to save face. He wanted to save stuff before he wanted to save people. It's misplaced joy. So what was God's response to Jonah? When the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. There's a lot of God appointing going on in this story. A couple weeks ago, God appointed a fish. Today, God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed a wind. God's trying to tell Jonah who's in control of the story. And it ain't Jonah. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He would rather have heat stroke than to be joyful over the salvation of these people. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And Jonah, God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now Jonah was just way too ticked off to go silent. Yes, he replied, it is right. I am angry enough to die. Right? Anybody been mad at God? Mad enough to die? So the Lord said, you cared about the plant. She did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? Great is about size, not about character. Which is more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. Now, I don't know why God might dropped on animals. Like, should I not care about the people and the animals? What about the animals? God, what? 
I don't know. That's the commentary you're going to get on the animals thing. You cared about this plant, but shouldn't I care about 120,000 people? Let's put this in perspective. It's like Jonah went over to like the southeast quadrant of the city, got on that, that hill there that you come down 65, got there. And was waiting for a city the size of Springfield to burn. All of it. Waiting for it. It's like, should I not care about these people? These people who were created in my image? These people who have broken my image? Should I not care about these people? Should we not put our anger and joy into the right place? See, rightly placed joy is this. Salvation of people. Our joy should be towards people's salvation. Because they're people. Think about this. You are created in God's image. And every person on the face of this earth is created in God's image. We've all broken that image. And our joy should be in people's salvation, in people's rescue, the people that are, he- that are broken and hurting into their salvation, their rescue. That should be our joy. What about anger, rightly placed anger? towards anything that gets in the way of that salvation. Didn't Jesus show us this? Didn't Jesus teach us this? Not just in words, but in action. John chapter 2. This is going to be in the study guide that, 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 that was emailed out. John chapter 2. I mean, this is right off the bat. He goes into the temple. He sits down. He makes a whip for himself. Makes a whip. I mean, this is premeditated. Makes a whip for himself. And he goes, watch me whip, whip, watch me nay, nay. Right, right, right. That's in the Bible. Ish. The story is. The story is. Ish. Why? Not because he didn't want us to sell CDs in church now. We've all heard it applied that way. Why? Because these these, these religious people thought that the Gentiles, those far away from God, did not deserve to come to God. So they took the only place on the face of the earth that Gentiles, people far from God, could come and learn about God and pray to the one true God. They took that space and decided to make a circus out of it. And he got angry over it because people far away from God could not come to learn about God, hear about God, and pray to God. Now, this does not give us permission as churches now to go into other churches that we feel like has gotten it wrong, a whip and nay-nay all over them. What it should do, though, is it should enlist a passion inside of us to make sure we get our culture right. That you should want, as a follower of Jesus, 
to want to, 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 to be a part of a culture that says to anybody and everybody, you should be included and you should feel like you belong before you ever believe or become a follower of Jesus. Because God has included you in the word all people. And God wants you to know that you, he wants you to belong to him. And our joy, our joy is placed into the salvation, into the rescue of people. Practically what this looks like isn't that you go to a foreign country to be a missionary. Now, you may have that for some of us. One day. But we always get focused on the big. What about tomorrow? What about a missionary mentality tomorrow? Not what God would do, what would Jesus do, but what would a missionary do if he or she walked into my place of work? What would a missionary do if he or she walked into my school? What would they do? They would look at people completely differently. They would look at people as people who have the image of God. Not people who do stuff that they don't agree with, but as people who have a broken image of God who need Restoration. And there's people who know that all the restoration has already been done on the cross of Jesus. The only joy that they have in life is to see that life rescued. What would a missionary do in your workplace? What would a missionary do in your school? your neighborhood. So you spend more time with the people you work with than your family, right? So instead of complaining about them, why don't we love them? What about the places you already frequent? Is there a restaurant? Is there a coffee shop? Is there a barber shop? Or a hairstyling place that you frequent? So you're like, yeah, way too much. Hint, hint. I'll leave that to the marriage series. What about them? Have we gotten past the fine? Oh, I'm fine. What about them? See, they're people that God wants to include in His plan of salvation. They're people that He wants them to know that He wants them to belong to Him. Two times yesterday, while we were at the hockey game, I heard people talk about, talk about uh, married people that they're around and they're, 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 they're struggling, their relationship's struggling. I said, invite them next week. Invite them. Why? Because God wants to rescue that marriage. God has a plan for that marriage. God has, has told us how to have freedom in sex and freedom in marriage. 
People need to know how to have a free life. Do we want to be missionaries? We're getting ready to sing a song, God of the City. It's a great song. It's an inspiring song. And yes, God is sovereign over all, but is he God of the city through salvation? And it's great to sing about it, but how's it going to happen unless we focus in on it? This series has been good for me because I've forgotten about being a missionary. My life is to be a missionary. A week or so ago, I just really started praying through that, you know, the intoxicatingly passionate concept. Started to see people differently and invited a couple people. Then the snow happened and kind of stayed in, but, you know. What if our workplaces, our kids' ball teams, band, extracurricular activities, neighborhoods, what if we viewed them as people who are in God's image. And we viewed ourselves as missionaries to rescue them from their hurt. What if? What if our sole joy was to find the salvation of people? We'll see amazing things happen in 2016, that's for sure. For those of you that are here that are not quite sure about the God thing, Here's what I want you to hear. There's a God that's intoxicatingly passionate about you and your life and your salvation. And whatever stereotype you have of church, I want you to know what God wants out of his church. is to love all people. To serve all people. And we invite you to learn more about the cross of Christ and the salvation from sin that he gives. For those of us that that's settled, do we need to repent of misplaced anger and misplaced joy? Probably so, because all of us do. And can we pray as well, God, put a joy in me for people's salvation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time, and I just pray, Lord, that you will... Put a joy in us. It was only for people's salvation. For their rescue. A joy that we've never experienced before. Lord, I just pray that you will guide and grow us and give us opportunities and let us be a missionary. Remind us of that. It's your name we pray. Amen.